Welcome to the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Kennedy, and you tune in today because you're sick of trying every fad diet under the sun and training yourself into the ground without seeing any results. That's why I'm here to share the most effective ways to eat and train for sustainable and real results. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. I've got a cracking show for you today. I'm joined by Robbie Frame, Jared Hustler, and Alicia Gowans. Uh, who are all WBFF pros, and we're going to talk about all things nutrition, training, and mindset, and go into a little bit more detail about the the training and food side of things when it comes to competing, and also the mental aspect of it as well. And in regards to competing, I'm talking about getting on stage as a physique competitor, but as you will hear in today's episode, a lot of these things translate and carry across into just the general population, people that are trying to get fit, people that are trying to lose a little bit of weight and take control of their nutrition and their training uh, and also get their mindset in a position where they are waking up each day with a goal. They're waking up each day focused and positive and also making sure that you have that short and long-term goal that you're constantly thinking about to keep yourself motivated. Um, We go into a lot of detail and I ask each one of these legends a specific question and then we kind of stem off those so there's a lot to look forward to in today's show Um, make sure that you stick around for the whole episode if you enjoy it please do take a screenshot of today's show and post it on your instagram story tag myself and tag these three legends which i'll have their their instagram tags in the show notes today Um, they are all very knowledgeable individuals that have a lot to offer um, and you can go and check out their social media links they are all absolute weapons as well so Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Let's get stuck into the interview. All right, guys. Thanks so much for joining me on the Fitness and Lifestyle Podcast. Um, I know the audience today are going to be pumped to hear what we have to talk about, and there's plenty to get through. Well, we are delighted to be joining you, so thank you so very much to have, for having us on. And I'm so disappointed, Denny, that I missed out on the, the episode that, that we had you on, but I'm delighted to be a part of this one today. Yeah, and guys, for those that have tuned in today, um, I'll have the link um, to the Competitive Edge podcast down below. You can go back and check out the episode I did with these guys and all their other content, which is extremely valuable as well. But guys, let's um, let's get stuck straight into um, these questions. So, Jared, I might actually start with you. And um, for those that are listening, what yep. we're going to do today is kind of I'm going to go over almost a specific topic with um, with each Jared, Robbie, and Alicia, and then each of us will kind of chip in with uh, bits and pieces just so you get some value um, from all three of these absolute legends. And you've all, you know, the three amigos are all WBFF pros, I believe. Yes, yeah. Yep, yep. So, so guys, you can take uh, everything they say. It's, it comes from uh, experience, which is, which is something that I find extremely important. It's all well and good to have the knowledge, but if you haven't gone there and done it firsthand, then um, for me anyway, I, I typically don't um, resonate with it as well. So these guys definitely know what they're talking about. But Jared, I want to start with you and I want to cover uh, the topic of training. So working with clients, um, I believe you work with Gen Pop clients as well as Comp Prep, am I right? Yep, correct. I do. I do anything and everything really. Amazing. So how do you approach your client's training? So I want to kind of make today's chat more so about how you guys would coach others. Um, And we can touch on bits and pieces about yourself as well. But how do you approach your client's training? It's a pretty broad question, but um, answer that as best as you can. (laughs) Yeah, it is a broad question. But I think we also mentioned this, man, when you were on our podcast. And, And for me, it comes back to always enjoyment. 
and and it's what people find entertaining more so what they like to do now when we're talking about someone in a comp specific um preparation time you're going to have to do stuff that you don't like guaranteed but for gen pop you know saying you're going to do a six-day training program you know you're going to be breaking it down to the full bro split for you know let's say a 40 year old woman she ain't going to be wanting to do that she wants to go in and and train maybe three or four days a week and and maybe it's an upper and a lower body split maybe there's some yoga or pilates in there whatever it might be but finding enjoyment in your training that mm. i think is is the key to to uh being able to stick at it and compliance to a program is is key because at the end of the day if people are doing something that they don't like comply and do it is very minimal so mm. as a coach if i can get someone to comply to four days a week training at, at, a, at the least and it's something that they enjoy doing you know i do i am more of a fan of um resistance training whether that's you know breaking it down into your blocks of you know your strength or hypertrophy or power phase whatever you're doing there um you know we would be more specific for an individual trying to achieve a certain result but for me it always comes back to enjoyment and, and doing what you like because you're going to keep doing it if you like what you're doing. So mm-hmm. I think at, at a base, that's my first port of call. So when someone comes into me, I go through with what have you done before? What did you like? What didn't you like? Let me know. What got your results? What do you feel you didn't get results with? And then we go from there because like I think we've said it multiple times and it will continue to be said is people are individuals. Nothing is, you know, one one way approach. There is so many different facets to it. 100%. I love that answer. And you mentioned it just then and you also mentioned it before, but individuality and that is so important. And, um, you know, as you said, if you're not adhering to a program, then it's useless. We, we mentioned it on your podcast about how the most, you know, quote unquote optimal program, whether it be nutrition or training, is useless if you're not sticking to it. So individuality is huge. Now, when it comes to, you know, you mentioned there are a number of different splits that you might have a client on depending on what their goal is or how seriously they're taking it. But how often per week are you getting clients to be training each muscle group? Um, I guess this is a topic that gets brought up a little bit in the bodybuilding circles um, in terms of whether it is a blow, uh, bro split. Oh, might need some coaching on how to speak here. Whether is it a bro split? <laughs> Or, um, you know, whether you're hitting each muscle group twice per week, even, you know, there's people hitting them three or four times per week. So what's your take on that? Now, very case specific again, but just just a basic overview is whatever someone's lagging body parts, we might hit them with a bit more frequency. If they have dominant body parts, not so much. I mean, I've got some guys who have to train quads twice a week, which is, you know, Mm. torture for some guys. But then you've got girls who want to train glutes three times a week and you've (laughs) got to back them off. It's like, hey, hey, you've got to... But, you know, it does depend on what the individual needs again. But I think if we can at least hit all muscle groups once a week, you, you know, from a gen pop perspective, you're doing well if you can at least get in and train everything once. But if you're trying to progress and, and grow lagging body parts, then you might have to look at a little bit more frequency and, and then, you know, maybe looking at um, incorporating higher amounts of nutrition on those days and, and as such, like where you're at in your off-season and in-season phase. This is all going to play play a massive part in in how often and how much we train. But I think as well as people need to think about is how much you're resting as well to allow those body parts to grow. Definitely. And again, that also comes back to individuality because if you've got a client that's in seeing you, I would imagine that 
say, for example, a gen pop client who is busy and only has that 60 minutes or even 45 minutes to come in and train, you're not going to be doing a, uh, a strength block where they're sitting down for three to five minutes between sets, even though that may be uh, an ideal, in an ideal world, that may be the case to, to really build up their strength. But when, you, when you're looking at what's optimal for them, it's not going to work, is it? No, not at all. It, it just comes back to what the person likes, what they can fit in a day and and also, I guess their experience level. You don't want to put someone into into phases of training that is way outside of their scope. Yeah. Now, this is a question um, that I like to ask in a number of different topics and, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing and I might get all three of you to touch on this, but when it comes to training, uh, what are the things that stick out the most that you wish you had, had have known earlier in your career or even oh, just starting? Oh. And, you know, we could probably talk about this for 60 minutes, but... um. Give us a give us a few of the main ones. You know, look, if if I if I jumped in first, I would definitely say, um, in light of the fact that Denny, if you if you didn't know my story already, um, and for the listeners, I broke my back three years ago. Now I broke my back because I had had a, a hairline stress fracture that had come from many years ago with hypermobility when I was I was a ballerina before I went into bodybuilding. Now I wish I knew back then and put the importance back then on mobility and also on execution and engagement with proper spinal um, organisation of my spine prior to lifting, above all else. I wish I knew that back then because I would not have broken my back. That's the number one thing I wish I knew more of. It's a huge thing, yeah. But And, and the funny thing is it's such a small time-consuming thing. Like it's the smallest component of what you would do with regards to that mobility and that, um, you know, proactive priming and engagement. But, with, but, with, but if I had have had that from day one, and I had I had a better structured approach to what I was doing, you know, leading into a bodybuilding, um, you know, process. I would not have had that significant injury. However, having said that, nothing happens without reason. So I believe it's made me the athlete, the coach, and the woman I am today. So I'm not going to discount. I believe it. It did, in fact, happen as it was meant to. But had I've known, I think I probably could have uh, avoided that injury. Definitely, and unfortunately, when you speak to most people that are just starting out in the gym it's not even in the top 10 number of things nah. that they're worried about when it comes to what they're looking at improving or what they're thinking about um, is important when it comes to, to training in the gym. But I'm very similar. Like I'd wish I had to put a lot more importance on my mobility and especially activation. Like I had probably two years where, where I was just, you know, spinning the wheels in regards to not getting my glutes activating, just getting a lot of back pain. And in the end of the day, I guess just wasting time, um, mm. which could have been, going towards making progress but yeah that's a big one what about yourself Robbie I look I would say that you know when I first started training the first uh, you know one to three one to four years uh, I spent very much walking in there with an athlete mindset uh, that stems from a, a background in sport where it's always about pushing yourself to the limit um, to the nth degree and and, and using um, failure as as sort of the benchmark of of making progress and, and in the first you know year or two of your training life um reaching muscular failure uh can certainly help in terms of progressive overload and, and making strength and, and muscle gains but then newbie gains uh start to diminish there's a law of diminishing returns of the amount of mm. gains that you can possibly make uh and and i think if i if i had a better understanding of you know, the underlying drivers of strength and hypertrophy with regard to not just, you know, muscle failure being one of many facets, but, you know, things like understanding that volume progression over time and just having that broader perspective where, 
um, you know, you can, you can win the training session by just ticking the boxes as part of a broader plan. And I think that only comes through experience and just understanding that you don't, you don't always have to reach muscular failure to, to get mm. progress. Um, and, and I think if I, if I'd known a little bit more about the, the quantitative aspects, um, I think I'd be able to fast track, um, my development further. But having said that, just touching on what, um, Ali's mentioned just before, uh, with regard to the experience of having gone through that and, yeah. and having the trials and tribulations and getting initial success and then stagnating for a period of time, feeling as though you're treading water, that experience of frustration and having that inquisitive nature to go out and search mm-hmm. for the information that would then inevitably lead to me making the further progress that I needed, you know, that, that experience molds you um, yeah. as whether it's a, as a, a coach, a personal trainer, or just a fitness enthusiast. So um, I, again, I would never say that the, the treading water period of time uh, wasn't advantageous to where I'm at now because what it's yeah. done is it's framed and provided me with perspective with how I deal with clients and communicate and educate them uh, and how I mold and adjust uh, and modify my own training um, now. <laughs> That's great. That, that, that failure one is, is absolutely spot on. I'm sure you guys are all exactly the same, but I spend a lot of my time, especially with new clients, trying to uh, explain to them and also show them the benefits of not having to leave every session feeling like you're about to throw up or have to use the lift <laughs> on the way down to the car. Um, yeah. yeah. Once you can get, once the client gets their head around that, that's when it, that's when um, the progress really starts to happen, and you can actually, you can genuinely see. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but you can genuinely see the the enjoyment that the client starts to get from coming yeah. in, knowing that there's a process that they're following, and and knowing yeah. that each session is just um, an investment they're making in their long term progress. They're also enjoying it more too, Denny. You know, like no one wants to be on the the biggest loser every day they go to the gym to see their personal trainer. Do you know what I mean? Like they want to actually go in and do things that are enjoyable where they still see progress but where there's they're not just actually having to have a walking stick for the next seven days post. <laughs> exactly right. True. I reckon I reckon my biggest um, thing that I wish that I'd learnt when I was younger and if I could say it to my younger self now, apart from, yes, both very valid points. And I can say from injury point and mobility, what Ali said and proper engagement and um, performance or executing the exercises correctly. And from what Robbie said, like not burning out, because I remember when, you know, as a rugby player, it was more was better. And as much as you can give, like more pain, the better. And, you know, going in and training for, you know, two, two and a half hours in a gym session with cardio, you know, six, seven days a week, that was what you did. But if I'd known more as well, I, re- I, I reckon from a rest perspective, you know, having more rest days to allow my body to grow and yep. nutrition, understanding nutrition much better at a younger age, I think um, from a gains perspective could be much um, further along than where I am now. But mm. um, yeah, I, think, I think everything that has been mentioned, if I could say that to my younger self, that that would be the, that would be the go to. Awesome, and can we all just take a uh, a moment to think about how amazing it would be to have those newbie gains again? Oh, oh my god! What a time yeah. to be alive! <laughs> Why'd you have to go there? Why'd you have to go there, <laughs> Danny? I would give all those little bikini divas a booty rundown. That's what I would. Do. Oh. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jared, a couple more, <laughs> if only, couple more questions on the training front before we move on to a different topic. When it comes to cardio and conditioning, and again, it is an individual um, case for each person, but 
are you more someone that leans towards expending most of the energy from the strength and resistance training and just using cardio as as a tool if needed do you have clients that are doing no cardio at all or are you someone that does prefer each individual to be to be doing uh, a decent amount of it to get lean Okay, that's a, that's a tough one because, yes, it, it can go both ways, no cardio and cardio, but I prefer clients from about 10 weeks out to do a minimum of 20 to half an hour every morning, and it's not from, and it's not from the fat-burning perspective. It's from the mental gain mm-hmm. perspective. I reckon from there, that 10-week-out mark, you need to be getting in a grind. It needs to be a daily setup, taking 20 minutes to half an hour every day in your own thoughts to set your day up and know where you're going. That for me is a big one because from 10 weeks out, if you're not prepping yourself, you're not going to make it. But for me personally, I love food. So I'll do more cardio if it means I can eat more food. So um, if it means in a comp prep that I have to We all train for, isn't it? um, (laughs) If it it means in a comp prep that I've got to do 45 to an hour of cardio each day, I'll do it to keep me more fed because um, I just love food. So, but, but yeah, when the, when the time comes cardio, I don't think you can negate that it it is a necessary key if you want to bring the condition at the end of the day. So I think it does hold, it does um, have its place. I like the reasoning behind that. I like the reasoning behind it. And then the last, uh, the last question I wanted to kind of ask you is, Obviously, the nutrition component is probably the biggest factor that changes between muscle growth and fat loss. But in terms of your client's strength and uh, your strength and resistance training, does it differ much between a muscle gaining phase and and a comp prep phase or a fat loss phase? Oh, definitely. So, I guess if we if we're going into a a gain phase, an off season phase, we want to start to utilize those calories and. And each client, again, being an individual, will get a, a different plan in terms of like how we're going to structure um, nutrition in terms of um, what body part we want to grow. So I like to try and couple nutrition with lagging body parts per se. So you get more calories on the days when you need that muscle group to grow and less calories on the days when you don't essentially need um, the, as much fuel for that muscle group. Um, and then as we come into, I guess, a comp prep phase and as the the output increases, we're going to probably re- reduce the amount of load because you're not going to be doing, you know, one rep maxes at um, one week out. It's not going to be beneficial for anybody. But, yeah, it, uh, as we as we decrease the the amount of food, we want to decrease the load as well that's, that's getting put on the muscle. But uh, each client's individual and, and how we play with that, I guess, um, it's very specific to, to their needs. Awesome, man. And for those that are listening, I think the biggest thing you can take from everything that Jared said um, here is that it is individual. It is a case-by-case and you need to find what works for you. Um, there's obviously guidelines and um, and different, different ways of approaching your training that are going to be pretty standard between um, person to person. But in terms of the way you're training, how many times a week it is, how many times you're training each muscle group, how much cardio, all that different stuff, it does come down to you as an individual. So um, appreciate your input there, Jared. Thanks, mate. Too easy. Ali, I want to move on to you now for a little bit. And, um, yes, and the, fa- the fellas, the fellas you, you'll still get to have a bit of input too, so don't go anywhere. <laughs> um, 
Now, being in a position that you're in at the moment, Alice, obviously as a competitor yourself, but also coaching um, clients, mindset is obviously a massive thing. And anyone that's been through yeah. a comp prep or even just a fat loss phase, to be honest, um, knows how important having a, a positive and strong mindset is throughout that process. So I want to start off by asking what your why is. This is actually a really incredible question because I think there's so many levels and layers to this. But, um, you know, look, I guess largely speaking, what I'm all about and the reason we put the podcast together and the reason that I coach like I do and the reason that I, I try to reach as many as I can is that I'm largely about education, I'm largely about value-adding, but I'm really, really big on leaving a legacy of creating optimal health and, a, and, and, a, and a, I guess a platform for people to reach their full potential. So whatever that space might be in, whether it's in their fitness realm or their personal life, and, um, and you're right when you say mindset is king to the whole thing. So we work largely on the inner game to then get the outer game to do what we wanted to do. But my why 100% would be about the the concept of living my best, my, my most healthy life for my family, so for my loved ones, being in optimal health and quality of life for the longevity of life, but then also sharing that passion and knowledge and know-how with as many people as I possibly can for as long as I'm around. That, like really, that's my why. That's awesome, and it definitely shows. Um, it definitely shows. And for you yourself, I'm going to ask you a bit more question, a few more questions soon about how you kind of approach it with your clients. But as an individual, how do you stay motivated? Because you know, I say to everyone that you know, I often get asked the question, "How I'm constantly motivated to train, or how I'm constantly motivated to mm -hmm. eat well." And the the truth is, I'm not. I'm, like, I don't think mm -hmm. anyone is is motivated. Yeah. Um, 365 days a year, every year. So on those days or weeks where you're not as motivated, what do you do to kind of get yourself back up and about and back into a groove again? You know what? This is such a good question because I, you know, I believe that it doesn't, I don't even care if you're the goddamn Pope, you're not going to be motivated to preach every day of the year. You know what I mean? Like we all have that, that period where um, motivation wanes. And I think that that's where discipline and habit and routine come into play to keep you on track regardless of the lack of motivation. But for an extra, I guess, um, you know, incentive or, or for a period of time where, you know, especially if it's, if, if it's in a period of time that matters most for me, which is coming into a, a stage, obviously, um, for me, it's progress. I don't look for perfection. I look for progress and I look at myself and I don't look sideways at anyone else. I don't compare myself to someone else's race because I'm running my own race and staying in my own lane but I want to be faster and better than I was in the, in the race previously. So, you know, for me, it's a constant checkpoint back to is what I'm doing aligned with my values, is what I'm doing still, you know, aligned with my why and, and am I progressing? As long as I can see progress and celebrate that progress, then it gives me that extra a step or pep in my step even just to give it that little bit more that in that session where I might not necessarily be feeling it. And lastly, I think, one of the other things I draw upon, which is probably so significant now in, in the, the space I sit in, is I think about my athletes and I think about my team and I think about the fact that if I'm in a day where I'm not feeling it, they're going to have a lot more days than I ever will where they don't feel it. If I can't turn up, show up and give my best on my down day, how the hell can I expect them to do it? So I've got to lead by example always. So if, if I can't kick my own ass, I let them do it for me. That's awesome. And guys, Robbie, Jared, uh, I'd love to hear your input here as well. What about yourselves when you when you got those days or weeks where it's just not, nothing's really clicking? How do you get back into gear and what motivates you guys to stay on track? It's a very good question. I, uh, you know, 
I agree wholeheartedly with the notion that uh, you're not always going to be motivated. Motivation is heavily influenced by uh, emotion, and and everyone is dealing with a, an emotional roller coaster in their life. You're going to have your ups, you're going to have your downs, and and I think um, I've always tried to hone in on, on, on processes more than anything else, um, mm. ticking boxes because you know if I can tick boxes along the way at a certain level of expectation. Uh, that that lies in with the standard that I set for myself. I'm more inclined to be able to reach uh, reach the goals that I I've set for myself. So I, I try to focus on processes and have that whether I'm dealing with high moments or low moments. But you know, you, when dealing with periods of time when you're you know you're going to be in a rut, and and at times it, it's often, especially because our podcast um, has a has a focus on on competing. Um, you know, people often finish up a competitive season and, and times they lose a sense of purpose and they've, they've come from a euphoric high and they'll, they'll go through a, a low period where you lose a, a sense of direction and, and purpose. And, and at times, especially, uh, the last few, co- I've done two competitions this year and, um, I actually had to put myself in check about two weeks ago where you've come from this euphoric high and, and intense focus and then, you lose that sense of purpose and direction. You're probably not, uh, you feel like you're, you know, treading water or your, your wheels are spinning and that's where you mm. need to take a moment and actually, you know, reassess what your goals, um, what your, and touching on what Ali was mentioning with the, with your why, if you can hone in on that uh, to provide yourself with a new sense of direction, you'll find that you'll be able to approach each day with a greater sense of purpose. So um, that, re- that requires a sense of self-awareness to be able to pull yourself in check and, sit down, reevaluate your goals and how you're going about doing things. Um, because I think by having that perspective, you're able to see value in a lot of the daily tasks, which from one perspective might seem like the daily grind. Uh, but if you view them in a different light in line with what your why is or what your goals are, you'll be able to see them in a happier, healthier mindset. So I think um, just taking a moment to compose and look at those goals can be incredibly important. So uh, having that self-check-in from time to time. I don't, I don't know what you guys are on about because I'm motivated all the time. I'm Insta, 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 Insta famous fitness people. We, we're robots. We're always oh motivated. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, I want to get your wife on here for one second to answer whether no. or not that's actually true because we all know that's a lie. <laughs> no, of course. Of course it's a lie. We're not yeah, all I'm motivated. motivated to turn my steak on the barbecue. <laughs> we're, of course we all, we all have times of of doubt and worry and, and unmotivated times where, you know, we just feel like we're down. And, you know, I, I think what Ali touched on the clients, that's a really big one though, because that's a constant kick in the bum um, yeah. for myself as a coach. Um, one of my biggest motivating factors, I think, um, my family. So for me, like I've got two beautiful little boys and, and, you know, if I feel down or I feel out, they don't care. They said dad was going to take him to the park today. So dad, you're taking us to the park or whatever it is. If I make a promise to them, I've got to, I've got to keep that same thing. Like, you know, with your clients, like you're setting an example and you've, you've got to be the trendsetter. I mean, there are times when I need to have a reality check and that might be I'm cooking in the kitchen and the missus comes and gives the back, back fat a little pinch. (laughs) But you know, I mean, as, as as coaches, we, we all keep ourselves in check and try and keep ourselves motivated. I, I like to look um, at um, athletes that I compete against as motivation as well because mm-hmm. I'm always striving to be the best version of myself and, and put a better physique than I did on stage. But, you know, 
we do compete. So it's competition and being better than the person I'm putting a physique on stage against is a big factor in what we do. I mean, um, constantly going back and looking at where you're at and how you're progressing. I think having a plan, a, a well-structured plan is imperative to making sure that we, we deliver um, on a better physique and, and that way we can stay motivated. We know, no, I'm in this phase for six or eight weeks or whatever it is, see this phase out and then we're into the next phase or however you've got your thing structured, your plan, but make sure that you have a plan because um, without a plan, we're just spinning wheels. For me, that's a big one is having a plan and I've got my motivating factors there behind me that constantly keep me pushing forward. But that's, that's me pretty much. That's great. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with all, all of your answers there. Ali, I want you to imagine that I am uh, someone that's come to you for advice or, or as a client, a potential client to compete or even just go through an extensive fat loss phase. How would you explain to me the highs and lows, the mental highs and lows of what I'm about to go through? Oh, my Lord. Look, I, I'm, I'm known for being probably one of the most honest coaches you'll find out there when it comes to, uh, to painting the, the most accurate portrayal of what the road ahead looks like you know i don't believe in uh, sugarcoating anything so i believe in people i believe in managing expectations but i also believe in setting people up for success so that also means you know letting them know that this is the duration of time in order to achieve what we're setting out to achieve this is the phases we're going to go through in these phases it may look like this you might feel like this this might be the outcome and then the whole way through I'm a very collaborative coach. It's very client-centric coaching methodology that I, that I you know, utilize. So their engagement is really heavily involved in the entire mm. process through the stage. So we're in constant communication. There's constant loopbacks, um, bio, like biofeedback loopbacks, but there's constant conversations at all checkpoints about where they're feeling, where they're going, and then what to experience like right around the corner. So from day one, I map it out and give them the broader you know, baseline as to what it might look like and just how much... You know, that yes, there are sacrifices that have to be made. That yes, we will make it as sustainable and lifestyle friendly as what we can because I believe in that. I believe that yes, it should not be an aggressive strategy as a stage, it should be an enjoyable one, and we should find, you know, a balance and a baseline point where we approach it in a way that gives optimal health at the end of the day, no matter what. Um, but at the same time, there will be sacrifices that will have to be, will have to be made. And so I will go through the warts and all and paint it exactly as it is because I don't believe in setting someone up for failure for their expectation to be, you know, sorely missed on what the actual reality of the process becomes. Love that. And I couldn't agree more. Honesty from a coach or as a coach, uh, even with, even for myself with general pop clients, like, you know, you obviously have to have that relationship and that rapport there with the client and they need to know that you actually care. But part of caring is being honest because if you're telling them just bullshit to make them feel good, then exactly. guess what? They're not going to see the results. It's not going to be a positive effect on them in the long term. So, um, no, no, I love- exactly. I do love that. And you mentioned that there's a lot of back and forth between you and your clients. So mm. is there anything that you put in place for them to win their day? Is there something that you get them to start oh, their day, whether that is 100%. or whatever it may be? Um, 100%. There's, there's probably a couple of different things, Danny. Like in all honesty, as we talked about individuality, right? So every single person is at a different stage in life and in their own personal development process. And, and this journey of physicality is a personal development process. It really is. And no one should ever downplay the fact that the inner game is, is as I mentioned before, almost 
more important than the outer game because if your head's not strong, your heart's not strong, the physicality won't even become the, you know, the outcome that you want it to be. So, you know, we work a lot on mindfulness and, um, you know, connecting into the reasons they're doing it. But we also, you know, um, look a lot at uh, on, like objective-based outcomes. So, you know, what is the objective for the short time or long time or midterm time frame we have together? What are the goals we've got and the whys behind them? You know, what is it that we've got and the tangibles? And then we put in place, you know, the daily habits. But every single one of them gets, you know, um, I guess different strategies from me that is going to suit them and where they're at in their their, their life cycle, I would probably um, describe it. Because some of them, it might be, um, you know, waking up with visualization strategies. For others, it might be waking up and listening to motivational podcasts or and or doing, um, it might actually be waking up and doing, mobility-based movement while listening to something or it might be that they've got um, post-it notes on their um, bathroom mirror with certain phrases or statements or um, figures even that are, you know, going to paint the picture for their limbic to then go out and roll out what we want from a goal point of view. There are 101 different strategies that I've got but it's tailored to the individual always. There is always going to be a daily habit that we have that, that we go through though, absolutely. And at any point in time, if they become what I call stuck, um, then we, you know, we coach through that by looking at different objectives and, and different ways around it. And they, they often get what we call homework, you know, where they'll get, um, little activities to go away and do that are around, you know, self-awareness, clarification, um, sentiment, refocusment. So, you know, a lot of those things that we work on. And, and I think, you know, uh, it's imperative to have the two-way communication and to have that collaborative, engaged process from their end. Otherwise, without their buy-in, there is no goal if the intention does not match it. There, there, there is no outcome that we'll ever be able to achieve that, that would be what they would be looking for. Without a doubt. And, you know, as we, we spoke about, like the long-term goal is there, but without the, you know, without doing the small things well consistently in terms of mm-hmm. day after day, winning your day a day after day, then the long-term goal doesn't happen, does it? No, exactly right. And look, even just as simple as, and, 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 you know, it's great when you've got a system that actually has, you know, automation where, where, you know, like ours does, where it links into things like Fitbit and MyFitnessPal and other things. But even just the, the simple things of ticking off the boxes of water intake and then, you know, logging their food and then just logging their workout. So that, you know, that from that point of view, those structural things have been done. But a lot of the stuff that we go through, um, you know, with, in particular with my team, it goes beyond just those things. It's actually the other stuff. It's the stuff that, you know, gets their, gets them to a place where they're not um, reacting out of emotion, but they're actually building their future with, you know, with the intention of what they want to achieve. It's, it's, yeah, probably a little, probably a little bit different than just ticking the boxes on the physicality. It's good. It's good. I like it. I love it. Uh, when it comes to now, Robbie touched on this before, actually, but when it comes to post competition um, stages, and we've all been through this, and um, I'm sure mm-hmm. you can all agree that, especially early on, it's a very difficult stage. And I think Robbie, you mentioned it before. You almost feel lost. So. How do you prepare a client for that post-comp stage and how do, is there any strategies that you like to put in place, whether it be goal yeah. setting or whatever it may be, to get yeah. them back on track as soon as possible mentally? Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, I'm in constant um, – well, basically what I do is I actually do a series of videos. Um, we, we have, you know, uh, obviously a community that, that they're all a part of. And um, leading into – the weeks leading into the show, I'm, I'm constantly on live feed or doing videos that are, you know, very much about, you know, what's ahead, what's coming ahead, what to expect and what have we. And then the, the same goes for coming out of the shows. So they get that. They, they almost are set up before they go into the show, knowing exactly before 
before they even hit the stage where I know I think they're going to sit and I have a very honest conversation about that, where I think we are sort of positioned in the, the playing field, where I know we're going to go from there. And then we've already, before they even hit the stage, we've already decided, you know, after this, this is where we're going to go. This is going to be the next stage. And it's just a process of rolling out a mapped out reverse structure. So they're reversing out safely. We're moving up and out into a surplus and we're taking care of the body that's given us so much in the process of getting this, you know, peak condition for that time frame. And then we're, we're, we're really starting to, you know, um, nurture it into a development phase to grow towards the, you know, development of any areas that we need to bring up for the next stage. But at, at you know, at no point do they not know what's coming and at no point do they, um, you know, not have me holding their hand in a sense. Um, but we paint the picture always. And, and we paint the picture that falling over is okay. And if you don't get it right, that's also okay. And if you screw it up, we've all done it. We've all been there. It's how you, it's how you have the ability to communicate it and speak about it and get help through it that makes it okay. It's if you don't have that ability, that network, that um, support network and that safety net around you and you're falling, that makes it, you know, um, a really dire straits for a lot of competitors out there. So, you know, I think the key here is there's systems, there's infrastructure and there's processes around them always, yes. But beyond that, there's just the okay to fail sometimes while they find their feet because the first time that you reverse out of a stage, anyone I know is going to screw it up. You're going to in some way make a bots of it. Boys, I know you would agree with me. We've all been there and screwed it up at least once, but hopefully you don't do it more than once. You'll learn from that and, you know, you, you just don't stuff up twice. Like, yeah, exactly right. And, you know, some of the most successful people that I've come across or even read up about or listened to podcasts on, um, they're the ones that have had the most failures or the most stuff ups that have, they've had to learn from mistakes mm-hmm. in the past, and that's that's how they've ended up where they are today. So I think that's really important. Um, before I move on to Mister Mustache, Mustache Man Robbie Frame, uh, <laughs> the last question I had for you, Ali, is what? How's your mindset around prep, especially at the start of prep, change um, today compared to the first time you stepped on stage? Oh my goodness, so much, Denny. Hey, like I've, I've spoken about this with my team at length and um, it's it's gotten to the place where, and, and this has been really, if I'm being very honest, quite for the last three to four years, I've, I've enjoyed this space where it's absolutely enjoyable. Um, when I first started, you know, like anyone entering this sport, it is, it's, it's overwhelming. It's daunting. It's, um, it's, it's, it's completely out of your comfort zone. It's restrictive. It's all of these things, right? And I think that it's over time with experience and it's with, you know, years of, um, finding you, I think, finding more about you and finding what works for you and how your body responds and how best to get the most out of, you know, what you're doing. When you start to get to that place where you're in this level of comfort in yourself and then also in this sport, it becomes easy. And now, you know, look, my mindset is that this is genuinely, really honestly a lifestyle for me. So for me, and I was just speaking about this with a couple of girls that are in Peak Week with me this week for a show this weekend, I don't actually ever feel like I'm in prep until I get to a point where it's usually about two or three weeks out and it's usually only mainly because of workload. I start to feel it physically because of my back, my previous back um, you know, injury. It's only at that point and it's really only momentarily because I do a whole lot of mental exercises to take me back out of it and then, and then, I'm, and then I'm sweet again. So, you know, I do think that my, 
I do think my mindset has changed from it being a laborious task at the beginning to now being such, it's just, a, it's an enjoyable way of life. Like I just, I don't know any better anymore. I can't even imagine my life not being like this. Like even well after a stage is in the horizon, I will live this, you know, optimal health focused life. It's not that I don't enjoy the odd red wine or a sweet potato fry. Trust me, because I sure do. But, um, but it's just about balance. And it's just, um, yeah, like I said, this is, this is just life now. Awesome. I think that should be the goal um, for everyone. And we touched on this when we had a chat on your podcast the other week, Jared, Robbie and I, and um, how, you know, I, I was very similar in my last few shows getting to the point where um, from previous shows, I was, I was almost a little bit worried about why I wasn't feeling shit uh, a few weeks yeah. before my show, but also looking the best I'd ever looked. So um, that's a really, really good place to be. All right, Robbie, mate, it's your time to shine. Hit me. Uh, <laughs> but again, this could be this could get this could answer could go on forever. But I want you to try and keep this nice and short. Give I us a very quick concise. rundown. Very quick rundown on what your approach is to nutrition for those that don't know. Um, but I will just briefly mention that, guys. For those that are listening, if you haven't already, I have done an episode with Robbie on the show in the past. So definitely go back and have a listen to that because there was plenty of gold nuggets in there. But mate, give us. Give us a, a rundown of what your approach is. Yeah, so look, in a bygone era, a number of years ago, when you first start, you uh, get a lot of your fitness information from Flex Magazine. It's probably a little bit misguided, uh, <laughs> at the very least. Um, and and it, it, often the understanding with regard to nutrition and what's going to work in manipulating your body composition is quite one-dimensional. Um, and it's only through trials and tribulations, a lot of learnings from uh, personal experience, client experience, and also uh, through uh, doing your own uh, research uh, that I'm now uh, more of an advocate of flexible dieting principles. And I think that's the biggest thing is in the past, I would have been all about uh, trying to find uh, the definitive protocol that's going to work for everyone. And I remember I used to preach from a pedestal, talk down to clients and, and, and get uh, with bemusement that they weren't able to adhere to this highly restrictive protocol, uh, you know, eat six meals a day every two hours. And if you simply cannot time it to the letter, um, you don't want it badly enough. And I look back at that now and I, and I roll my eyes and I'm more – more about uh, an advocate of flexible dieting principles, prioritizing factors that are most important, uh, and then molding the protocol around the individual rather than trying to mold the lifestyle uh, around the protocol. So prioritizing key things like energy balance and macros, uh, and, and then obviously looking at micros. But uh, yeah, making sure that flexible dieting is where I'm at now, and I've found personal success with it and a lot of success with my clients. Love it. And I know in terms of the, I guess, the discipline or as you mentioned, the volume dial, there is a bit of a difference. But when it comes to working with Gen Pop clients compared to Comprep clients, is the process exactly the same? Um, this is something that I talk um, about with a lot of my clients. But is the, you know, in, in a broader picture, is the process yeah. of dieting the same compared to a Gen Pop client and a, a Comprep client? The, the principles the principles are the same. Um, the principles with regard to the processes required to lose body fat are the same. Mm. Uh, but one of the things we discussed on a previous episode when I was on here was this concept of the volume gauge, the level of accountability and scrutiny with your tracking, um, how uh, detailed you are with regard to weighing everything to the nearest gram. What I would what I would say is that often a lot of Gen Pop clients fitness isn't their life 
It's mm-hmm. a facet of their life. Mm-hmm. And the important thing is to seamlessly integrate fitness into their life so that it's a benefit, not a burden. So when we talk about that volume gauge in terms of the tracking, the scrutiny, you know, if, I, if I'm a competitor and I'm looking to get razor sharp condition to the end and every uh, metamucil of, of all portion of food needs to be tracked to the letter in order to get the, the stage ready condition required to take out first place. I would say that my volume gauge on a scale of one to five is at five. Like it is peaking. It is right there. Um, but is that advantageous to have someone tracking everything down to the letter if they're at a higher body fat percentage and, and fitness isn't their life? That's where you really do need to turn the volume tracker down. That's not to suggest that the level of accountability shouldn't be there. Mm. Um, but, you know, if, someone, if someone's at 22% body fat, do they really need to be micromanaging the tiny details of nutrient timing to the nth degree? And if you bombard them with that, um, you, you may find that their adherence to their fitness protocol overall goes out the window. So I think, you know, the process, the behaviors are somewhat similar. The process required to lose body fats, the same. It's more about the level of accountability and, you know, the scrutiny with which you track. Um, and, and you get quite anal retentive when you're one week out from competition and you're micromanaging sodium, uh, and nutrient timing and, and this, that and the other. Uh, and seeing how your physique looks on an hourly basis type thing when you're in that peak week. But when you're dealing with gem pop clients, do they really need to be scrutinizing that? Probably not. Um, and as a result, uh, it, it really does depend on the level of accountability in line with what their goals are. For gen pop, uh, a lot of the time is I just want to feel comfortable in my own skin. Um, and it's as much a psychological thing as anything else. Uh, when, when it comes to a competitor who is you know, heavily focused on getting to the stage and, and getting a certain result, um, that volume barometer is going to go up tenfold. Uh, and it's important that as a coach, you're able to identify um, when you need to turn the volume down and when you need to turn the volume up, not just from a physical or a metabolic standpoint, but also the psychology uh, and the mindset of the, of the client and where they're at. Yeah, I love that. Uh, couldn't agree more. And I know you work a lot with Gen Pop clients. Um, and I want you to imagine, so I'm asking a lot of hypothetical questions here, to tend to be good at that today. Uh, imagine that I am a Gen Pop client that has had no real experience with dieting at all. And I come to you, what is what is something that you're going to get me to do initially to get into the habit of you know, tracking calories or, or just even figuring out what they should be eating or, or getting into some form of routine where they're eating mm. towards their goals? So, uh, you know, one of the things I find is that often uh, fitness consumers will purchase, you know, plans from a PT in four-week or eight-week blocks of, of, of that description. And, and unfortunately, at the end of four to eight weeks, the, the trainer never really has the opportunity to take that client with regard to their understanding of nutrition from unconscious incompetence to where you want them to be, which is consciously competent and aware of the foods they're eating. And the, you, you sort of get halfway along the journey with the learning development phase and then for whatever reason, life gets in the way and they, they can't commit further. And that's where you really want their, un, you know, their understanding of nutrition to evolve over time. And it does take time. Um, but at the outset, you know, at, at first, and this is where you want to evolve it, often I will get people to categorize foods 
um, okay. but not with the intention of ensuring that they maintain that uh, understanding with food. So understanding what are foods that are, um, you know, minimally proce processed and micronutrient dense, and often you can categorize that as clean and, and, and junk food, being able to identify that for no other reason other than to establish, you know, that 80-20 principle that I'm trying to push. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And things like what is a what is a what is a food that is dominant in in the macronutrient of protein? This is yeah. these are your lean meats. These are and being able to specifically go. This is a dominant food in that particular macronutrient. Um, but then, but then over time, you want to evolve their understanding to understand like that they don't need to categorize. They need to start looking at other priorities. But it, uh, at the start, yeah. you want to focus on habits and processes and, and, and routines, and and rather than looking at results having them look at um, things like meal prep and ticking that. Sometimes just doing meal prep is, is, is something that needs to be celebrated um, or, or, you know, getting my fitness pal and tracking your food over a week, celebrate those small wins because it's, it's the processes inherent in dietary adherence that need to be ticked in order to get the results. And if I can instill anything at the start, it's, it's the behaviors of the meal prep. Um, being aware of uh, meal prep, being aware of, uh, of how to track uh, your intake with MyFitnessPal and then over time evolving their understanding. Um, so I, th I think at the start it's more about the uh, understanding the processes required for, to get results and, and celebrating those wins. Love it. I'm all about small wins. And isn't it funny how, you know, all of us would take for granted that, you know, a lot of people don't know what, is in the breakfast they've been eating for their whole life. Yeah. They don't know whether yeah. it's high in protein or high in fat or carbohydrates. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys find the same thing, but when I start to work with a client on their nutrition, I'd say nine times out of 10, they're not even getting close to their protein intake for the day. So it can be as simple yeah. as making sure they eat enough protein and all of a sudden the rest kind of almost takes care of itself before we even have to make any more changes in terms of yeah. looking more so at the specific calorie intake or their carbohydrates and fats. Um, I find um, I, I find protein and fiber, and mm. then water intake. Protein, fiber, and water intake are the three things that people either just are completely clueless or completely under, you know, consume. Yeah. yeah, yeah, most definitely. I think they're 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 little things that they're not aware mm. of. Or I, I know that we we are weird human beings as fitness <laughs> professionals. We yeah. when we look at food and we look at an individual meal. Uh, we're able to break it down into protein, carbs, fats. What's what's the appropriate point for that? When you're at that early stage, when you're at that infancy of your understanding, uh, you're probably not aware of those things. And uh, if you can get those initial things, that's a that's a food that's probably dominant in protein, and this is the benefit mm -hmm. of that, and mm -hmm. and carbs and fats and so on and so forth. But uh, but then focusing on processes that are going to lead to results. Robbie, you're you've been following flexible dieting for some time now. In terms of tracking mm -hmm. macros, what's three kind of yeah three three is a good number. Give us three actionable tips that people that are currently following flexible dieting or even just tracking their macros, regardless of what approach they're using for their nutrition. Three actionable tips that they can use to make the process a little a little easier. Well, I, I first and foremost, make sure that you've got a set of digital food scales that work. I've often heard some people are, are preparing meals with digital food scales that, that don't work and the <laughs> level of accuracy um, goes out the window. Moreover, uh, make sure – so that's one tool that you need to track your macros. second tool that you need is to use an app like MyFitnessPal uh, to allow you to, to track your intake and with that, make sure that the glossary of uh, foods that you're selecting from 
uh, are verified. Often they are, uh, often they are, but it, sometimes there could be some inaccuracies. And that, at the outset, that just comes down to sort of doing a little bit of extra homework to better understand the nutrient density of certain foods. But um, getting my fitness power on digital food scales is one. Then uh, what I would say is when you're preparing your foods uh, or preparing your meals or preparing your week in advance, especially if you're new to the whole concept, track your intake in advance. Um, so have the, the meals laid out, whether you know you prepare your meals um, for the next couple of days, have that intake of those meals already logged in MyFitnessPal because I think it's the behavior of constantly logging um, that, that can sometimes lead to people falling off track because they don't want to constantly look at their phone every time they um, take out a meal. So track mm. in advance and then adjust and modify throughout the day where appropriate according to changing circumstances. So if you find that you go, um, you deviate from the meal plan that you've set out for yourself, that's completely fine. You just subtract that particular meal and then you adjust and modify the intake to hit your uh, macro targets um, for that particular day. Um, at the start, if you're brand new to uh, flexible dieting, the concept of tracking your intake, I would advocate preparing your meals in advance and tracking your intake uh, in my fitness pal in advance. As you evolve and develop and better understand um, portion sizes, specific foods and what uh, what you know macronutrient they're dominant in, um, once you've got a better understanding of that, and that only happens through time and experience and um, you know, that, that constant effort of, of consistently tracking. Once you've got a better understanding, then you can move more towards simply intuitive eating or tracking as you go um, and uh, or tracking as you go and then moving on to intuitive eating. Uh, I think often people fall into the trap of here are my macros. I'm just going to track as I go. Um, and at the end of the day, they find themselves having to gorge on particular foods in order to hit their targets. And, and that's mm. not advantageous. That's not what we're advocating. What we're advocating is being flexible and uh, uh, where appropriate under changing circumstances to ensure that you've got a leading a sustainable um, lifestyle with regard to your relationship with food. So, uh, and then I think one last thing that I would say is that um, the tracking of food, uh, you know, Tracking your food, preparing your meals and doing all of that uh, is of little relevance unless you can track your compliance and the cause and effect relationship with your body composition. Uh, and where, you know, often I tell my clients, I want you to take uh, your weight every single morning, first thing upon rising, uh, after you go to the bathroom before meal one, and then we'll take the weekly average so that we're not, so that we've got more accurate understanding of your body weight trends and then track your measurements just once per week um, and then being able to assess a cause and effect relationship between, uh, you know, your nutrient intake uh, and then the re- how that has a, an effect on your body. And then you're able to actually have an honesty session with yourself. And I know, you know, if you're just starting out, sometimes we can be in denial about the, the foods that we're eating or the intake that we're having. Um, we, we don't think we're having much, but we really are. The other thing that by tracking your compliance and seeing whether or not you're hitting within a certain range of particular targets Having tracking that compliance and looking at it objectively allows you to have that honesty session with yourself as to whether or not you're doing everything you possibly can um, to get the results that you want. Are you doing everything you can with regard to processes of preparation, um, with accuracy with things, or or are you telling yourself a you know a different narrative? Are you lying to yourself about it? And I think by the tracking old, uh, the old teaspoon anyway, of peanut butter trick, eh? <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> So See how much you can some, sit on the one piece, 
<laughs> yeah. Well, guys, look, I can't thank you enough. Today, this episode has been extremely valuable and I wish I could hang around and talk to you guys all day. And, you know, speaking of good trainers, I'm keeping one of my clients waiting because I've been having too much fun here. Uh, I think <laughs> we might, we may have to do part two, I think, uh, in the near future. But thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, I know that everyone that's tuned in today will get a lot of value from it. Um, and, and for those that are listening, make sure you go and check these guys out on social media. If you're not already, I'll have all their links in the show notes below and go and check out the episode I did with these guys the other week. There was some good, good content in there as well. And check out some of their older episodes as well, because again, there's a lot of value there. Um, very knowledgeable human. So thanks so much guys. Um, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks Thanks for having us. Thanks very much, mate. Thanks Danny. And as I said, we definitely will be locking in uh, part two in the very near future. Uh, We'll love that. We'll love that. Thanks Danny. Pleasure. Right, guys. So thanks again for tuning in today. If you haven't subscribed already, do go and hit that subscribe button now and take a screenshot of today's show if you've taken some value. Post it up on your Instagram story. Tag myself. Tag these three legends um, and we'll get back to any any questions you have and we'd love to hear your feedback from the show. So I hope you're having an awesome day and I'll chat to you again in the next episode. Mm-hmm.